32 counties and 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Ah. Oh my God, so close. So, as you know, we usually take a Gorge County, dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world that brings us. But that was BC. These days we look at issues or themes in a rapidly changing pandemic impacted country and give them a global context. That sounds very highfalutin, but it is what we're doing. It sounds so dramatic. (laughs) This this week we're looking at the connections between lockdown curtain twitching and surveillance capitalism. Fun. (laughs) I realised I listened to something and all I can hear is me laughing all the time. Obviously that's a positive in life, but when you're listening to a podcast and all you can hear is Dr. Hibbert over and over again. Anyway, get used to it because I can't stop laughing. Uh, so first off, babes, babes, what, who do I think I am, Pam Anderson? Oh my God. Uh, Patreons, thank you so much. You are literally being so sound with your sign up. So we are very appreciative. We set ourselves a goal um, for May and we are flying it. So if you're considering signing up, please do it before May is over so we can be like, oh my God, we made our goal. Uh, That would be super sound and we'd be super appreciative and, you know, get those revenue streams going for the poor out of work pair. (laughs) So funny, isn't it being out of work? Yes. Um, But... Yeah, one of the benefits of being a... a, uh, patron is that you get to listen to our patron exclusive uh, Sunday podcast, which is called the Sunday Soothe, which is a very enjoyable, like 15 minute chill out vibe, uh, trying to find the lost meaning in modern Pinterest and Instagram quotes. Um, and yeah, it's 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 really great. I really enjoy it. Um, I enjoy Andrea's uh, fizzing insights. And it's also... Um, the time where we announce our uh, treasure hunt winner. Although we didn't do that this week because we had so many entries, but our first treasure hunt was a massive success. Thanks to you. All of the entrants were brilliant. So brilliant, in fact, that although there was a winner in a multi-way split decision, congratulations, Sean Highland, uh, we also sent everyone out a get in the seat tote. So we're going to do the treasure hunt every two weeks all of the prizes come from local businesses and artists and they're really great. So this, uh, the first one was uh, Sean won an at-home feast from Coppinger Row and a quarantini cocktail box thing from Catch Events. That's amazing. Lucky him on Friday night. And I cannot tell you how joyous it was to look at all the entries because A, they were so funny, um, but also everyone loving their nature lives and getting creative with nature and unearthing its wonder. Also, what was a roaring um, success <laughs> in terms of how you guys seem to enjoy it, um, and also we enjoyed it too, was our 32 questions for Mary Lou MacDonald. Um, Can we just have a moment for how perfectly timed it was when it came out with the shenanigans, I can only call them shenanigans, that were going on in the Sunday papers with all mm. the exclusives popping up. It was media mayhem. Yet even in a landscape where Mary Lou MacDonald is very visible right now, I think we offered something completely different because we spoke to her like a human. Uh, We asked hard questions and we asked other questions that 
uh, I think were quite revealing about her personality and her politics. Um, that wasn't an accident, by the way. We do actually think quite deeply about these things. Um, and as a result of that, now obviously with Don't Stop Repealing, we interviewed other political leaders like the Taoiseach and Micheál Martin and um, Marilyn MacDonald again, actually, and other people. But because the 32 questions uh, for Mary Lou MacDonald this time cut through so much, I think, and that people were really into it um, compared to, you know, the same kind of stuff that you get in other media. What have we decided to do, Andrea? Una, we have decided because when we started uh, 32, well, I forgot the name of our podcast, United Ireland, <laughs> uh, we did say that we weren't going to interview politicians and that we would take a different stance. Um, so we figured after enjoying uh, the 32 questions with Mary Lou and getting such great feedback on it, that we are going to start um, a 32 questions series. We might come up yeah. with a, something snappier to call it, but it will involve asking 32 questions that get to the heart of um, our interviewees' personality, thoughts, uh, politics, worldview, etc., etc. Getting down yeah. under the skin. And our key criteria for who we interview, because obviously, you know, you can talk to like loads of different kinds of people, but we kind of want to talk to the juicy people, like the people that like the type of leaders and politicians and all that kind of stuff that you guys are really interested in um, and that maybe are a little, that their personalities and stuff and who they, their authentic selves or whatever are kind of hidden a little bit from public life. So um, we're going to be very selective. Um, so you can, so th as a result, it's not going to be like every week or anything like that. We don't even know if it'll be every month, but we really just want to get under the skin of people who occupy very particular places in public life um, and do a lot of interrogation on who that is because you could you could spend your life interviewing people that everyone else is interviewing and then it just kind of becomes PR or kind of performative so we don't want to do that um so bear with us while we come up with our next guest we have some ideas um and what we want to do most of all is just serve you guys our listeners and it's thanks to the patreon support that we're able to do that so merci along with our new byline series of uh, interviewing journalists who are reporting on really important stories so loads of stuff going on i really enjoyed that byline the other day by the way just yeah it was great uh, just to say before we get stuck in though this week we have a bit of a, an extra little shout out to do one of our listeners uh, is turning 21 this week and her partner Elena got in contact with us and said she really wanted to do something special for Neve Sheehan who is 21 this week. Um, in the words of Elena, Neve is a fantastically inquisitive person. She's a lover of nature and loves a long hike and swims in the sea nearly every day. She's Jealous. In, she's encouraged Elena to eat more vegetables, which is always a bonus. Um, and she fights against the systems which she believes are unjust. And Elena just wants her to know how very special she is. She's a big fan of the pod and she, Elena, was saying that getting a birthday wish from Andrea and Una would make her dreams come true. So tonight, Matthew, we are making <laughs> dreams come true. So happy from Andrea birthday. and Una, happy, happy birthday, birthday Neve. Neve. Happy ha birthday. 
We love you. Thanks for listening to the pod and big love to Elena as well. Um, And I hope you have a brilliant day. Andrea, how are you feeling? Hmm. I was just saying I'm a little bit overwhelmed at the moment. I am in the midst of moving out of my house in the middle of Corona, which is great crack. Trying to get bubble wrap from Woody's is a click and correct collect nightmare. Obviously, I went to Deckwells because they're my little local DIY place. But uh, yeah, it is that. See, I can't speak. I'm very overwhelmed. I'm trying to do too much and that's it. It's so hard um, when you have to do things that you normally would kind of just be flying through in BC times now. I think our capacity is just so limited. Um, so There's a lot more hurdles involved in everything. And I'm, do you know what I'm getting to the point of now? I'm getting to the point of where I'm just like so frustrated by how hard it is to do things and to to be like, to be with your friends. And like, I know everyone's the same and obviously there's a bigger picture, but just how hard it is to move out of your house, how hard it is to order windows for, you know, anyway, these are very um, lucky issues I'm having, but they're issues nonetheless. Yeah, but it is, it is a grind. Um, it's like we're all living in London all of a sudden. Everything is just harder to get to, <laughs> harder to find your friends harder to get anywhere now that's a um a bit of a joke a bad joke but um yeah it's it's grinding down you know conversely um uh, my state is is mirroring yours i feel i was kind of feeling uh overwhelmed at the weekend um just because we actually did loads of work last week and then i was doing the um, the MyRef Memories broadcast for GCN on YouTube on Saturday night. Thanks. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So took a, took on a good bit and then I was like, I'm actually in kind of wrecked now. I'm bit in bits. So I decided to go on my holidays um, twice on Monday and what day is today? Thursday? Thursday. No, I went on my holidays on tu- on Tuesday and Wednesday. Sure. My my first holiday on Tuesday was to the Phoenix Park for four hours on my own, where I just sat on a blanket and um, read. Did read. you take your top off? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I uh, drank a can of Diet Coke and I read a book. And when I went to my holidays on Wednesday, I went to Grand Canal Dock Um obviously dual purpose of scouting now defunct office buildings for rave venues, but also to see the water. Hi, and Facebook. <laughs> so, Hi. I, so I just sat on the edge of the water and uh, again, read my read my book and it was very lovely. So um, part of that is because um, there are certain days of the week now where uh, I don't have any work. <laughs> so th- that has freed me up. Funny, isn't it? <laughs> so so gas. No I have I have I have been liberated um from the cycle of labor uh for a large chunk of the week. Um but it's good uh coping mechanism to not just be sitting at a desk and looking at the screen and being like, I need to do something and it's actually like, no, I need to check out my my um, capacity has been reached. So I know that you can't do that right now because you have a lot of stuff on, but um, build it into your day, as they say. Yeah, naps queen here. Yeah, napster. Even when I get tired, I still keep sleeping. It's the best. Also the worst. Anywho, that's our state of the nation. What's the state of the nation in the world? 
first run up, <laughs> like I, I, it's getting to the point where I'm laughing at shit like this. Trump threatened to shut down Twitter after they start putting fact checks on his tweets. He lost his shit so much that he might consider telling the truth uh, that he threatened to shut them down. Obviously, there's a way darker uh, thing around that of shutting down platforms because they're calling you out on lying. It really rings of a dictator world where which controls how information is shared. So I laughed first and then I cried deeply into the abyss of hopelessness. Mm. It's funny how, although kind of there was this initial shock around it, ultimately it's just like, oh yes, here's another thing that he's doing on the slide of American democracy um, towards this weird nihilistic authoritarianism ruled by a kleptocrat who's a complete... my favourite kleptomaniac. (laughs) It was a total criminal crook, basically, totally crook. Yeah. Uh, So I really feel for our pals in in the States. I'm really noticing a lot of my friends who live in America are making their way home now. It's mm-hmm. like they are getting out of Dodge and which is really sad because obviously there's a lot of great things about America and a lot of great things, including Cherry Twizzlers, but um, they are all leaving. Do you know who else is leaving somewhere? According to your State of the Nation list here? <laughs> Matt Damon? Matt Damon is on his way back to the stateside. He oh. went, he made the announcement in his local grocery store in Dorky. <laughs> <laughs> Just standing in super value in Dorky, screaming about his It's actually there. not super value, it's another one. Um, but he went in to get something and told them that he was leaving and said goodbye to them. So the announcement was made and Matt Damon is off. Well, that was such a like nice story of... Uh, Corona, wasn't it? It was just so bananas. The New York Times getting shut down, Spin getting the story, the Super Value bag with its swimming trunks. It's just, it's just great. I got bored of it very quickly. I, I know, have to but say. It, like it's not an engrossing story. It's just a nice little. Oh, that's gas that Matt Damon's in a doggy doing his bits. Lovely. There's enough shit. We're we're taking our joy where we can. Okay. Uh, speaking of shit, there is. A Cummins shit show going on at the moment. You read an article for the Times, didn't it? Yeah, I wrote a, this is obviously Dominic Cummings is a maniac, um, as we know. Uh, it's not a surprise. And uh, But anyway, I was just kind of thinking loads about this. I've piece in the Times online today about um, British self-awareness and self-knowledge or the lack thereof and the links between colonialism and letting standards fall and how colonialism is a boomerang and it comes home and it's worth a read uh i think i kind of just lashed it out in a haze uh so go to the irish times read that yeah the thing with the Cummins stuff is they i know how pure works uh, as i've worked in it for 20 years and i know that they are clever people and i just there's no way this happened without there being something going on underneath it. And I know, like, obviously I'm not the the great mind of politics who's figured that out and other people are saying it as well. But like, there's, 
as I think it was in your article um, about how the scandals eclipse something else that's going on underneath it to take mm. your, uh, draw your attention away. Um, and Carol Calwaddler, why can't I say her name, was talking about in one of her articles of how they've literally overturned a lot of the cabinets to make to private companies and nobody is noticing this because they're so busy looking at his him traveling up to Durham so worth looking at what's going on underneath yeah it's like the Steve Bannon thing you know um that the real opposition is the media and you flood the zone with shit as he says you just like put in all of this you know scandal disinformation shock inducing kind of bullshit and then everybody gets caught up with that and then you forget or you know, aren't capable of examining what's happening uh, in society. Yeah, And papers um, are selling because people are buying this shit to lap it up as well, because the other stuff isn't as sexy, uh, but more important. Mm-hmm. Go on. Um, the next point, very important point, Leo took his top off. <laughs> Obviously, that is a bigger uh, story of him in the Phoenix Park. And this kind of was where this episode came out of, of like everyone losing their shit, trying to measure how many meters was between him and his friend in the park, playing by the rails. It was like, oh, for God's sake, would you stop? There's a massive correlation between what's happening with regards to the Dominic Cummings scandal and the Leo scandal. And I think that, um, you know, the... the the Taoiseach having his top off in the Phoenix Park with his boyfriend and a couple of friends where you could not really see if he was like exactly the two metres but wasn't exactly flouting lockdown rules either. I think the difference between Irish media and British media, and this is not, you know, a praise thing, this is just an observation, is that um, Irish mainstream media, uh, for better or for worse, sometimes, you know, for worse, sometimes for better, doesn't tend to gravitate towards scandal in the same way as um, UK media, British media, uh, not s- scandal, but just get cu- gets caught up in in the hype, tr- in the yeah, in the trivial aspects of it. Um, and I'm really, really glad that we didn't have to endure, you know, a week of uh, newspaper and and um, television and radio debates about, you know, was Leo wrong? Uh, is he cavalier? Was this a bad idea? Like, sure, it's juicy, but is it important? Um, and I think that, of course, the Dominic Cummings stuff is important as well, but there are much more important things going on. Um, in British society. And the fact is, you know, Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson and Michael Gove and Jacob Rees-Moggs and all these people were, were you know, you let these people in and now you have to deal with the consequences of it. Um, I think we're kind of lucky, even though that obviously, you know, I'm no big fan of Leo's politics, but there seems to be a certain you know, less or more rational approach to what is actually a story that we should be talking about than not. You know, there are much greater issues with Leo Varadkar than whether or not he has a picnic in the Phoenix Park, uh, which may not be advisable, but is not some massive crime. What Um, is a crime is the, the death of George Floyd, um, in Minnesota. Um, the videos obviously have were released of the police officer holding, kneeling on him, on his neck and... Killing him. Killing him, murdering him. Um, and yeah, it, it, 
I don't really know what to say. I just feel it's, it's, it's like a public lynching essentially that he, the police officer felt impaired enough to do this in, in plain sight. And in the age of, uh, camera phones in being watched and being challenged and brazened it out and kept going and, it obviously highlights the huge, huge, huge injustices in America. And it's just, it's very sad. I just think it's awful. Yeah, it's also just, you know, repetitive at this stage, the impunity uh, with which um, mostly white police officers in America just murder black people um, because they're black. Um, and, you know, I was kind of reading different things about people just saying, you know, you just need to get rid of the police force in America. And I think that's, you know, a, a really good place to start. Like they've repeatedly shown that reforms don't work, that you can have all these like horrific, you know, scandals um, and brutal uh, murders in the street and nothing happens. So you have to start doing something radical. Uh, it's not about reforming things at this stage. And the also, college like, in the area has put out a statement today saying they weren't going to deal with the police for any security uh, needs anymore, which is brilliant. Yeah, that's a, like, I mean, that's what needs to happen. I mean, these police forces are, are brutal, they intimidate people. Um, they're like, there's this total fallacy where, you know, the police need to be supported and all this kind of stuff. It's like, why would you support these, the, the type of, of people who like kill people in the street because out of, because they're like view them as a threat because of racism. Like it's insane. And also um, there's lots of like, you know, obviously we're two white people talking about this, but you know, you, you again see this cycle online of, of, um, discourse around um, black people and people of colour, like obviously being in so much pain because, you know, you're seeing the, the you know, the, the, the inhumanity. Um, the unfairness. Uh, just yeah, well, the unfairness. Yeah, and yeah I think- just the, the, like, but I, what I'm going to say, what I was trying to say is that you see this kind of uprising, like very superficial, like white allyship. And I just feel like white people need to do the anti-racist work ourselves and not merely position ourselves as allies, because I just think that can be such a static state, you know, like the state of being an ally says, you know, I'll sit here and not in agreement and sympathize while you do all the work for me. Like white people need to do the anti-racist work and stop congratulating ourselves for simply deciding that we're not actively being racist when we benefit from racism. It's not enough to just like acknowledge our privilege without acknowledging our own racism and doing the work, we're in a better position to do this work, to dismantle racist systems. Stop turning to people of colour for instruction and do the work. And like, what are you doing in your life to destroy racism? Like, what will you put on the line? What are you doing that's real and not just about making yourself look good or fucking hashtag or something? What is going on in your own community, in your own country that is racist? And what can you do to end that? For example, you know, opposing and actively trying to dismantle direct provision is a good place to start. And um, obviously this stuff is happening in America uh, that is very specific to the American experience, but racism is, you know, multinational, global uh, poison and white people need to start doing the work much better instead of just like sympathizing, which I find kind of offensive. Those are my thoughts.
They're good thoughts. <clears throat> and finally, this week, um, marriage equality uh, anniversary was last weekend, and also the repeal anniversary was last weekend. So uh, there was obviously the Marref stuff with GCN that Una did, which was brilliant. And also for the whole week, this week, you can watch When Women Won in the IFI, which is a documentary about the Together Free Yes campaign on repeal. And it's for free. So pop on to the IFI. Now it's time for our weekly Corona Correction. This week's Corona Correction is about um, Irish universities. Um, obviously, uh, there's loads of the Department of Education's total bulging up of the leaving searches ongoing with, it just feels like a daily more obstacles and it's like destroy all of the data of students and finally anyway it's just total mess but obviously uh, third level institutions form a massive part in our education system and uh, one of the things uh, with regards to how they're going to be functioning there's all this kind of discussion about will it be online and lectures and la la is with regards to international students um, who provide a massive uh, chunk of money to Irish universities through paying fees. So obviously, if there's no international travel and if people are kind of looking closer to home, what happens with that money and also what happens with that places? So there's a piece in the Irish Times this week about how Irish universities are, or maybe it was last week, looking to replace the fall off in international students with additional student places um, for access programs, for people from underrepresented underrepresented backgrounds um, in Ireland. I was speaking to somebody I know who is a lecturer in an Irish university and they were talking about how they're kind of looking to um, open up uh, places that previously would have been taken up by uh, international fee-paying students um, to people who may not uh, automatically or necessary, necessarily have um, access to third-level education. So I think that is a great development and also maybe then CAO pay points will come down if there's more places I don't know about that I just made that up okay and uh, maybe we'll <laughs> clarify that later okay so <laughs> so now um, let's talk curtain twitching and surveillance capitalism Okay, so today we're talking about the connections between curtain twitching and surveillance capitalism. Andrea, what would you characterize as corona curtain twitching? So it is mainly carried out, it seems, on Twitter. Um, And it is the ability of people to position themselves as the best corona rule keeper going. Um, It is positioning themselves as the best and not being able to see that they are actually breaking rules um, whilst putting themselves on a pedestal and then literally giving out passively aggressively on Twitter going, I can't believe somebody is sitting down in the park for three minutes. That is not the rule. Um, And we've talked about this. It's gotten into see a good few times uh, because it's so in bits and everyone needs to get a grip. But it is the shaming that's involved in other people's actions. And um, it's it's people taking this responsibility of everyone else onto themselves. And obviously there needs to be, um, you need to feel, there needs to be this communal support for following the rules. But as we keep saying, are you following the rules for 
the reason the rules were put in place or are you doing it to put yourself on this pedestal of perfection as a rule follower when actually what you're giving out about is not having any effect on what the rules are for. Will I say rules one more time? Um, so yeah, Corona Curtain Twitchers, uh, watching the neighbours, where are they going? What are they buying? You're only meant to buy this and then being caught out by like, oh, but you bought all of those. Oh yeah, but that's for, like, you don't know what's going on with other people. Keep your nose out of their business. As you say, that we've been discussing this from the beginning of of lockdown and the pandemic um, previously around the two kilometre Stasi, uh, you know, as you're saying, like, where are people going? And and um, but we're, we were kind of talking more about it last week, about how what, you know, because it's not just a standalone thing. Right. So today we want to talk about how this behaviour intersects with something much broader um, the new connections being formed between surveillance capitalism and public health in a pandemic. Uh, in what, Shoshana, what is surveillance capitalism? Okay, so w- w- the sh- surveillance capitalism really came to the fore um, in Shoshana Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, The Fight for a Human Future at the New Frontier of Power. And she wrote, surveillance capitalism unilaterally claims human experience as free raw material for translation into behavioral data. So there's loads of different forms of it. Fundamentally, it's um, with regards to how much tech and big tech particularly knows about us and how it it uses that data to monitor, to aggregate, uh, to gain insights. A lot of this is used for, of course, advertising, um, using our data against us, um, moving us in certain directions. We see it an awful lot in kind of uh, election times. um, Public service card. Yeah. And and so kind of this movement from, you know, very basic surveillance in terms of CCTV to how tech, uh, digital platforms, social media platforms and the Internet in general in general became a massive surveillance machine. You know, surveillance is something that's always been, you know, of concern to people who care about privacy and civil liberties. But this kind of um, very Orwellian um, characterization of surveillance as a big brother thing that like there's this one overarching entity that surveys everything which is true in authoritarian states it it kind of morphed more as the digital age took over with ourselves internalizing surveillance and us becoming big brother be that um, forsaking our own privacy in return for social media treats broadcasting ourselves monitoring ourselves and each other um, and then giving up our data um, so that we can, you know, use Facebook or whatever. Um, Shoshana Zuboff wrote, Google is a shapeshifter, but each shape harbors the same aim to hunt and capture raw material. Baby, won't you ride my car? Talk to my phone, wear my shirt, use my map. In all these cases, the varied torrent of creative shapes is a sideshow to the main event, the continuous expansion of the extraction architecture to acquire raw material at scale to feed an expensive production process that makes prediction products that attract and retain more customers. I won't go into my usual minority report lecture here. We'll save that for another time. So there are multiple touchstones regarding surveillance in our current situation. We have a global pandemic that requires a kind of necessary mass monitoring through contact tracing. We have citizens internalizing surveillance. This is the curtain twitching kind of disposition. We have state use of mobile data that monitors activity outdoors. You know, you kind of read these articles are like, oh, well, according to the mobile data, you know, 17% 
more people are on the streets this week. It's like, Jesus, you know, like that, that really scares me that that, that that kind of stuff is available. How many people are outside? How many people are inside? How many people are moving around? We have discussions around the role of tech in exiting lockdown through surveillance apps. Um, so what happens when this age of surveillance capitalism intersects with the pandemic that we're told by public health officials will be neutralized through tracking public health um, made global and lockdown measures and exits? Will states already prone to surveillance use this moment to gather more data on citizens in the pursuit of control, monitoring and squashing dissent? Do you know what countries- I just keep visioning when I'm listening to this? Go on. Matt Damon. <laughs> in the boring, in born, born, born. Yeah, I just yeah. have all these images of like how how crazy those films are, and it just feels like an episode or a film that we're in. And like, is it con- is it is it like chance that Matt Damon was here during this? Continue? Oh, you, you, so is Matt Damon part of a real life born identity surveillance program in partnership between the American government and the Irish government? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't think know. I'm not saying this, but it's a convenient. He's been here for so long. Get yourself to a beach with a tricolor, Andrea. I think you found your tribe. Um, but many countries have instigated restrictions in response to public health concerns that overlap with actions more commonly seen in authoritarian states. How do we have these conversations calmly without resorting to the kind of rhetoric and disinformation the conspiracy right uses to stoke fears and paranoia with the goal of dividing people and controlling societies themselves? Um, side note, I was cycling through town yesterday and there was a guy running down the keys screaming about Leo Varadkar, quote, exterminating people in concentration camps. So it was like a fucking human Reddit post uh, running down um, the keys. Very disturbing. So, uh, obviously, there's massive bananas uh, conspiracy theories uh, around at the moment. And it's just very difficult sometimes to have rational conversations about surveillance without um, intersecting with people who are just like wildly spreading this stuff either for their own kind of racist ends uh, or because, you know, they, they, they need calls for... Yeah, been been radicalized um, by algorithms or whether there's kind of something deeper psychologically going on. Anyway, how do we ensure governments acting nefariously don't use the pandemic as cover to seize new powers and permanently monitor populations? And we've kind of seen that a little bit with the um, with the more police force and all the stuff the ICCL have been calling out against. Yeah. And if capitalist forces use economic collapses for their own personal financial benefit, um, as Naomi Klein detailed in The Shock Doctrine, The Rise of Disaster Capitalism, will tech use the current global crisis to instigate a form of disaster surveillance capitalism? In times of crisis, our usual concerns around protecting ourselves often evaporate in a very well-meaning response to serve the public good. And we can find ourselves quickly shedding privacy in order to assist collectively. And tech companies may take advantage of this. Narratives around privacy have evaporated just as they do in wartime or in manufactured wartime, such as the war on terror. So to discuss all of this, we're joined by our pal, Liz Carlin. Liz, uh, you've heard on this podcast before, she builds projects and communities that fight for democratic rights. She is the executive director of Digital Action and the founder of the Transparent Referendum Initiative. And she is a smart person who thinks deeply about these things. So we are going to talk to her about curtain twitchers and surveillance capitalism. 
Bonjour, Liz. Uh, Hello. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to ask you straight away how you would characterize surveillance capitalism. Yeah, it's one of those things that um, we're so used to and is so sort of ingrained in everything that we do um, that uh, it sort of feels so obvious. And yet then when you try and explain it, sounds slightly mental. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, like, it, it sort of it comes from, from a, a kind of groundbreaking book that's been out in the last two years. And um, everyone who says they've read it probably hasn't because I think it's about 5,000 pages long or something. Um, but it, it basically is looking at um, how the, the sort of the dominant business model of, of the web um, grew around sort of this idea of um, capturing as much information about people um, as platforms, companies, intermediaries, brokers possibly can um, in order to try and um, sell us stuff, but also sell access access to us based upon kind of intimate understandings of who we are, um, uh, which is kind of bad enough in and of itself. Um, but sort of the net effects of these things, you know, you often hear people saying, oh, well, I don't mind if I get ads for something or another because I get Facebook for free. Um, but the kind of the net impacts that, you know, these little things happening millions and millions and millions of times a day is that sort of like the entire um, information world that we all live in has become so driven by these factors and the things that we see, the news that we see, the um, uh, interactions that we have with people, our understanding of the world is becoming just so shaped by um, uh, by the impacts that this is having. Um, yeah, and, and it's just like, you know, the, um, uh, like our attention, the things that we look at, um, uh, have become, um, uh, currency, um, uh, and therefore monitoring and understanding as much about what we can do as possible. These sort of invasions of privacy, which make us feel slightly uncomfortable, um, have actually become ingrained and part of the capitalist system. Um, mm. so it's, it's kind of, obvious and like really there in front of us and yet like actually like difficult enough to kind of get your head around. What worrying things are you seeing emerge regarding surveillance capitalism in this current moment? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of things that uh, the people who know a lot more about this in, in the world, but you know, who, who I'm lucky enough to get to talk to on, on a regular basis are worried about. I think the most sort of, uh, I guess, overt or striking thing is like the kind of the apps, the kind of contact tracing apps and how they're being developed and how they're being rolled out. Um, and if people I speak to who, you know, are concerned about privacy, are concerned about all these issues, um, you know, they want, they're, you know, dying for a pint as much as the rest of us and sort of want to be able to get back out into the world, um, but are really concerned about certain things that are happening in the development of apps where, you know, um, so, so contact tracing apps sort of like the idea is when your phone is in your pocket sort of all day, every day, as you're going about the world, it knows who you've come in contact with, how close you've been to them um, and how long you've been in contact with them. And therefore it can tell, you know, um, let's, let's say like uh, Andrea and I bump into each other in Tesco um, and we end up sitting having having a natter, standing there having a natter for 30 minutes. And um, if I end up testing positive um, for COVID in the future, we've both had this app. Andrea will get a little notification saying, FYI, 
AI, uh, you're, you're, you're at risk. And that, that sounds like a, like a positive thing, right? Um, but it's, you know, what, what else are these things doing? And actually, so ICCL did great work on this. Um, I, I know Liam's been on the show before. Um, uh, they, they, you know, they with you know, Simon McGar and the rest have done lots of stuff looking at the HSE's attempt to bring in one of these. And they were kind of trying to do like um, um, symptom tracking as well. So it's not just that like they'd know that Andrea and I had bumped into each other in Tesco, but they'd be kind of asking Andrea, okay, what symptoms do you have? And how have you been feeling? And, you know, and, and, and where does that data go? How is that used? Um, because we know from... The way that, that you know, and, and this, this is not to say this is this is the HSC's intention at all, but we know that quite a lot of this technology, once that data is sort of gathered, um, uh, and especially if it's being shared with kind of third parties or intermediaries, you know, could that then affect um, uh, you know all sorts of aspects of our lives, and could it affect people's ability to go to work, <laughs> you know, um, our, our ability to sort of make a living, and how open is that to manipulation? So I think that's been the most obvious one, um, and, and this is like much more problematic in contexts like um, um, uh, which, have, which have more repressive regimes. And I think the government here have actually been very responsive to civil society pushback on this, and I think um, they, they would rely on people opting in, um, mm. whereas I think we're seeing in, in, in lots of places and it'll only grow this being kind of an excuse for some governments to start monitoring their citizens um uh, or being yeah. more uh, kind of uh, open about it i guess there's there can be a positive impact as well in that um you know i was talking earlier in the episode about these very kind of just like benign news stories about like well according to um mobile data there's yay many more people out on the street this week than there were last week and when I was reading that I was like this is fucking terrifying that this data is actually very available yeah but that the pandemic has also exposed the amount of stuff that's out there and it's not going to be as like you're talking about let's say the proposed HSE contract tracing app like you know I think people look at things kind of superficially sometimes from a consumer point of view and they might go, well, if they're doing symptom tracking, maybe the most dangerous thing is that like there's a Spotify plugin for new playlists when you have a headache or something. <laughs> Great idea. Uh, and, and, and like with so many of this stuff, right, it's like things that make sense in the individual level are just, they just become more and more worrying when they scale up, right? And like, you know, I, I think we all, we're all getting that actually in the context of the pandemic because like, you know, me going around to see, you know, my, my granny or whatever, like, in, in, in one interaction, we know that that's very, um, that's probably very low risk and, and it's fine. But the problem is if everybody does that, you know, um, then, then these things become problematic. And it's the same with, with a lot of this tech. Um, and with the data, right? Like, I mean, data is most useful when you have huge amounts of it um, and when you're able to stitch together lots of different pieces. Um, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a new territory and it's, it's very hard, um, to know what the right thing to do, right? So, if you take here here in Ireland, um, there was there was you know a, a decent amount of really good quality advocacy happening around the HSE app, um, but actually like in the background, Google and Apple were sort of saying the same thing, um, because mm. they have developed their own tech, right? Right. So um, I want I want to ask you about this. Like I keep hearing about the Google Apple contract tracing app or collaboration or whatever, and I have not 
like delved into it like what what do you know about that and what is that all about because it doesn't seem like two companies who are very great at coming together on things so that worries me <laughs> yeah so th- th- there hasn't been a lot of transparency around this um there's some great researchers in in in, in trinity who are digging into this um and they're finding all sorts of sort of you know um uh ways that it can be manipulated etc i mean i think um, the, the, there's, there's two questions. One is like um, transparency. So can we actually see the code? Do we know what this data has been used for? I mean, um, we know we know Google's record on um, you know delivering decent products, but at the expense of <laughs> you know, sort yeah. of like you know tracking us and like knowing people are pregnant before they do, <laughs> um, because they can you know m- um, monitor all sorts of things. Um, so so there's that side of it. Um, uh, like the, you know, do we, um, can we kind of see what's going on? And then I think especially for contact tracing apps, so like th- these need to be trusted, right? So they reckon somewhere between 60, 80% of people need to have it. Otherwise, Andrea and I met in Tesco. She has it on her phone, but I actually don't have anything on my phone. So, so that interaction doesn't, you know, like it's, 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 it's hard for that to have kind of worked or if neither of us have it on our phone, then, you know, it, 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 it doesn't work at all. I mean, I think the... There's a bit of like the techno utopia stuff coming back in, um, which is frankly kind of lazy policy making. Is like, can we get an app for that? Um, when like you know, if you like WHO, like all the kind of medical experts are, you need professional. Um, contact tracing, right? You need someone mm. who calls Andrea and says, right, tell me, who did you meet? How long were you talking to them for? Kind of what's been going on? You know, what kind of things are going on? And then someone who calls me, right? Like, and that's a, that's a professional skill. And if you look like in, in, in New York, they're a bit behind the curve on this, but they're hiring people and they're hiring people, they're hiring grad, like they're hiring people paying them, you know, 60 grand a year or whatever it was, um, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, um, to sort of do this professionally. The UK has gone the other way. They're like, let's Let's have an app and then let's pay people 10 quid an hour in a call center, um, mm. you know, to try and sort of do this stuff. And I mean, classic, classic and, you know, not, all, not, not at all out of line with, I think, the broader uh, UK Gov <laughs> approach to this stuff. But I mean, it, it's just like you, you, you can't get around um, the, the contact, you know, the, the, the tracing stuff w- with an app. Like also because if Andrea can't get a test, right, um, then none of this stuff matters. And if the test takes a week to come back um versus you know should be around for 20 i mean you know, i'm 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 not an epidemiologist i'm not an expert in any of this but this is what i'm hearing from from people who are in the know is like like you know yes it can be kind of helpful but if you're looking at this as a panacea and it's it's kind of like in a crisis there's so much vendor-led crap right there's people coming out and saying you know um hey government here's a shiny thing that can solve your problems and then you can get back to dealing with you know things that um uh, that that like you know the, the nursing comes like the government is having to deal with so much economic crisis so much at the moment, um, but it's just it's it's just not a part of the solution and or you know it, it's not the solution, um, and it it is just it's part of this bigger bigger piece um, uh, of you know well uh, like when we start to let things slip in terms of in terms of our privacy in terms of access to who we are and to who we're talking to and. Um, you know, and, and then and then and then all those sort of like, which which is kind of uncomfortable on the personal level, but on an aggregate level, is, I suppose is really the frustrating thing of it is that that it all, it seems like such a good idea. If you're like a private citizen, you're like, yeah, well, that obviously makes sense. Why wouldn't we trace it with an app? 
Yeah. Um, right. And, 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 and we use apps for all sorts of things. Um, but uh, like an, an app isn't going to fix the COVID crisis. Like, yeah. you know, like and, and an app isn't going to like, I, I think there was, um, I, was, I just, just saw some stat, I think in, in one of these like properly done contact tracing and uh, no test and trace things. Then it was, it was in Korea. There was something like 60 or 70% of people were asymptomatic. Right. And um, who had kind of been in touch. So like, un- unless you're kind of doing this and you're doing proper testing and you're talking to people and, you know, and you're putting in place, um, you know, social protection, which I think we have done, but we may end up losing like social protection. So like, if I get the phone call and it's like, you know, Andrea's um, sick, you may have it. And I'm like, well, I feel fine, <laughs> you know, and if I don't go into work, how am I going to do all these other things? Like, unless you have the comprehensive picture, it's not going to do very much. I think there's also an issue. Would you agree with this with um, governments that are kind of a little bit incompetent or have other kind of more nefarious goals around tech that that they <clears throat> position uh, like tech as just a solution to to everything without digging in, into it. So like, you know, the same UK government that is like, oh, an app will fix our COVID crisis is the same UK government that goes, there's a tech solution to the border in Ireland, you know, without actually detailing what that is. You know, the technology will fix out, you know, will fix goods coming through or like people who just say things like smart cities, you know, (laughs) which what are you talking about? Um, So, but like, do do you think that, I mean, okay, look, if I was a tech box boss, like let's say I'm, you know, Zuckerberg, I would say this is an amazing opportunity to get into um, uh, like, because people are just giving up privacy left, right and center. It's like, okay, how can we use this for leverage? How can we sell our products that will then do all this other stuff down the road to government? How can we further embed ourselves into policy and government tenders? And how can we leverage a pandemic that requires mass surveillance, which contract tracing is a part of, um, to our benefit. I mean, surely tech companies yeah. are thinking like that. Well, uh, so my, I, I'd interpret it slightly, slightly differently. Like, uh, you know, I, I think, um, I think uh, this is less about like a sales opportunity, um, than a sort of possibly two other things, right? One is, um, tech companies have a big problem with morale, um, since in particular the aftermath of the US 2016 election, um, where internally, um, uh, you know, people who joined these companies and a lot of our mates work there, right? Like people join these companies thinking I'm going to connect the world. It's awesome that I get like sushi for lunch, but like, you know, I, I, I kind of genuinely feel like the stuff that I'm doing is innovative is making the world a better place. Right. And like, that was a part of the deal when you, when you join these companies. Um, and you know, yet, you, you know, the, the last couple of years, I think people have felt more uncomfortable saying I work for Google, right? <laughs> then they would have done um, sort of like, you know, even even sort of five or six, um, five or six years ago. And so I, I think there is there is a little bit of this, which is sort of like, you know, in the right, okay, there actually is an opportunity here because um, everyone's doing it, right? Like every, everyone who has any skill at the moment is what can we do to help in the pandemic? And a part of that is, you know, sort of genuine altruism. Another part of it is like, you know, positioning and branding and all these sorts of things, right? I think a part of it is that, but but like possibly the more important one is um, there is regulation coming for these companies and they are doing 
absolutely everything in their power to stymie those regulatory processes. Um, you know, we, we keep an eye on, on Brussels a bit. And at the moment, and this is in very, very senior levels um, within, within Europe, there are senior officials meeting kind of commissioner level, just below commissioner level people every single week from one, from one or other of the, of, of the big companies. And those meetings are happening then the entire way down the food chain. And they've been going on for years. And like, it's not an accident that, um, you know, civil servants, Sort of, you know, like believe in um, not all of them, but some of them kind of jump to techno utopia ideas. That's been years of cultivation, right? Of innovation, focus, you know, of, of, of innovation working groups and of like, you know, we'll give you this training and we'll do whatever. Like there's been cultivation behind the scenes for years. Um, and I think especially in Europe, like we're not used to the scale of corporate lobbying. Um, and, and, and it is lobbying and it, it comes in lots of guises, but we're just, we're not used to it. We're not built to sort of withstand it in the same way that 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 the US would be. Um, and so, I mean, I, I like... It's, you know, and, and we're having some chats with officials, not in Ireland, but in other contexts who are sort of saying like, you know, uh, yes, we're annoyed that, for example, the platforms, the spreading of misinformation. I mean, we all remember the WhatsApp, you know, army, my dad's in the army, um, um, audio notes that were going around. But I mean, uh, hundreds of people died in Iran when misinformation was on Facebook saying drink bleach, right? I mean, the president yeah. of the US also said it, which is problematic. Um, uh, you know, the, there is a huge amount of disinformation going around. It's really hampering. Medics are annoyed about it. Lots of people are annoyed about it. But at the same time, governments and WHO are really partnering with them because they need them to get the information out. So like, there's, this, there's this broader kind of context of regulation. And if that regulation comes down to sort of saying, and some of it is going this direction, your business model, following people wherever they go on the internet and actually in real life in order to sell access to them and curate what they're seeing based on that information um, is against GDPR or we don't, you know, like you're, you're, you are too dominant to sort of where, where it is in the US, like you're, you have monopolistic, like these are kind of existential threats to the company. And so like I, I would see it more as um, in, in, in that realm, more as like kind of um, defensive than offensive right like sort of um you know not about necessarily generating new business but like really trying to cement their position as kind of like equal partners or, or you know or, or, or people who governments need to rely on to be able to get stuff done mm. i always feel way less comfortable posting any posts on instagram every time we talk to you liz so could you tell us <laughs> Sorry. what private citizens like myself can do uh, to protect ourselves while also doing the right thing, for want of a better word, for the public health of our nation and the world? Yeah, so... Um I mean, the, the, one of the best things you can do is um, <laughs> spend as little time on platforms um, as, as you can. That is How very difficult. How am I meant to share my dinner? <laughs> I love your 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 Instagram, Andrea. Don't stop. Um, I mean, it, it it is hard, right? Like, and and actually, you know, I I think like there's there's no point in kind of cutting yourself off from <laughs> from people in order to try and deal with this stuff i mean i i think i think there are things we can do like especially in relation to um like did basic digital literacy stuff right so there are people in all of our lives um who think facebook is a source you know oh i saw this on facebook um and so helping those people in as kind a way as we can and not in a kind of shamey way of sort of saying hey maybe think twice before you say you, you share that 
before you share that um that 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 meme or that thing that's got that's going on. Um, I mean, I think uh, just accessing um journalism, <laughs> you know, paying for journalism, um, uh, paying for journalism, paying for alternative sources of information if you can. There are alternatives to Google for browsers, is like DuckDuckGo, and 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 there are different services that you can use which which don't track and like Firefox as a browser. Um, so Firefox is part of the of Mozilla, and uh, so Mozilla are a big tech company, but one that are sort of set up in a non-profit way, um, and they have much better privacy practices. And they've also the really cool plugins where you can like block various things from 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 chasing you around the internet and things. So there are there are some kind of practical things, um, but I think just sort of staying informed, making sure the people around you stay informed, um, and also like you know I think. Um, there is a big fight coming when it comes to regulation and to these sorts of things and sort of staying engaged. I think ICCL in Ireland, again, are very good on this stuff. Um, um, Amnesty are actually getting involved. Um, um, and, and, and some other orgs are, are, are sort of, you know, getting their heads around the world in this. And, and like, you know, when, when those battles come, <laughs> be a part of them, <laughs> be a part of them if you can. And finally, before we let you go, thank you so much. Should we be covering our cameras on our laptops with post-its like in the Facebook movie? Most (laughs) people I know who know a lot about this stuff do. Um, I just have one of those little click covers that I cover over. Yeah, Yeah. or like a post note or something. Um, Yeah. I, um, I personally, I keep getting them at like conferences in these little bags and thinking, oh yeah, I'll put one on. I, I never have. Um, I mean, I, how I, are you meant to zoom? How are you meant to zoom? And everything is zoom at the moment. <laughs> no, they just have a little, it's just like a little window yeah, that no, they are over a Mac. Yeah. And, and so you can, you, you can choose when to, when to turn and turn, turn it on and off. Um, people I know who, who know a lot about this stuff do use them, um, but I mean, I think, you know, you, you, you can get to kind of tied up in, I think, I think it's especially in that kind of personal privacy aspect of it. Um, like I, I think the bit that we, that we should think all be getting it. angry about is what, what, what is this doing to our system? What is this doing to our democracy? Um, you know, what is this doing to vulnerable people, uh, who are being pushed down rabbit holes? Um, uh, you know, there was, there was a really good article in Wall Street Journal, um, this week sort of, um, that Facebook knew years ago and um, their internal presentation, somebody's leaked saying our stuff is polarizing unless we change it. Um, and they decided not to change it um so i i I think like you know taking personal you know personal decisions do matter and all this and they can kind of add up but like if you're informed about this stuff then getting angry about the big systemic pieces yeah 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 you know and like and what are the bigger what are the bigger picture um implications of this because keeping it as you know, an, an individual privacy issue or even individual pieces of content. And, uh, you know, should Trump's tweets be deleted and all that kind of stuff? You know, yes, that, that that's an important debate. But actually, you know, the recommendation algorithms on YouTube, which are pushing people down these toxic, toxic rabbit holes are much more problematic, much more problematic. Liz, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, ladies. Thanks. And uh, you've been doing a great job over the last few weeks. I've really enjoyed listening in. So thanks. Nice one. What's getting in the sea this week, Andrea? I'm staying on theme this week with our team um, of curtain twitchers and a specific uh, re- group of people. It was it was hilarious who were trying to catch 
national treasure, Miriam O'Callaghanish, for getting her roots done. To the, like some of the questions, they were like, somebody asked an innocuous question and they were just kind of doing it for the gas. They're like, my girlfriend wants to know where how Miriam got her roots done. And then it developed into this thread of like, hi, Miriam, just wondering, you did it at home? What product did you use? She was just like, wella. And then they were like, oh, I'm kind of fair. And I just want to make sure that I don't get, I get the right one. What shade was it? So, cause I want to make sure I go lighter. It was like, are you for real that you're literally spending your time on Twitter trying to catch Miriam O'Callaghan out for doing her roots? Get a grip and get in the sea. But Andrea, what if they genuinely just wanted to know what, how she did it? They didn't. It, like the way it was written was literally like, oh, I'm a bit lighter than you. Can I just did it? And then another, like there was another few questions going, oh, and how did you do this? And how, like, it's her fucking roots. Would you get the boat? Get in the sea. Okay. Anyway. I'm just going to stand up for it just in case the person was actually like wanted to know. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It wasn't just one person. It was like there's okay. a few people going for Miriam. Um, leave Miriam alone. Leave okay, Miriam I, alone. I, I stand by your get in the sea choice. Um, and now our fave bits. Okay, so my fave bits this week. Um, I never do audiobooks. I have listened <gasps> Jackie to Jackie Collins reads all her own audiobooks. Oh, that's good. I know um, it's right up your street. <laughs> Santangelo's the, like ultimate feminism women in power like don't judge it until you've read it or listened to it go on and can I do my fave bits though Sorry. <laughs> go on um I have listened to one audio book well before this week I'd listened to one audiobook in my life which was Lily Allen's memoir um and but that has now changed because I listened to the audiobook of Tegan and Sarah's memoir called High School and it's just about their childhood, their adolescence, I suppose. Um, it is a really amazing um, audiobook, not just because it plays some of the early demos of their songs, um, not just because if you're a fan of the band that you might be into it, but it's so interesting to take for artists to take a look at um, minutiae of their adolescence because it really demonstrates that all of these things that happen like parties and drug taking and relationships and fights and all that kind of stuff and upbringing and familial relationships, how it all informs ultimately the artistic process. So it's really in the weeds with like, you know, they detail in great detail. Um, they detail in great detail. Um, you know, parties they went to or like an incident at school or whatever. It's just very, very interesting. It shows the importance of small incidents in your life and what they lead to. So thoroughly enjoyed that. That and my other fave bit is um, Friend of the Pod, Anthony Remedy has a really great new idea. It's called The Line Light, um, L-I-N-E-L-I-T-E. And it's basically an app for stores and customers um, that regulates queuing systems. So instead of people waiting in line on crowded pavements and not physically distancing properly and everybody outside shops because there's a two meter distancing rule, this allows you to book your time in the store, shop safely, in peace, without loads of crowds and uh, all of the tech is built and everything for it. And I just think it's a brilliant idea and shops are signing up to it. So maybe if you own a store or know people who do, have a look at it, thelinelight.com. 
it's just, you know, one of those things where the simplest ideas are the best. It's one of those. So check that out. What are your fave bits? Gorgy, my fave bits. I've loads of fave bits, actually. Uh, first up, did you know that Jackie Collins reads all her own audiobooks? <laughs> <laughs> That's my fave bit. They're, she's absolutely brilliant. Perfect for a long drive, um, which I feel no, you're not allowed to do long drives. I feel like there's something in the air. Obviously, it's a bank holiday that people are going to do things this weekend, whatever they may be. Don't break the rules. Uh Lancome, Lancome on NPR was fab. They're just, they're just gorgeous. They just give you goosebumps, and um, I'm delighted to see them whizzing around the world, bringing our traditional music to a, a bigger audience of people like me who don't go deep. Uh, oh, this is the Tiny Desk concert, is it? Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Um, another fave bit was the counter protest on the beach by. The kings of satire, TPM, who were going around with their t- literal tinfoil hats calling for a slower internet and um, more Tesco's because <laughs> it was just, they were just brilliant. Google uh, the video if you haven't seen it, where they're calling, using a loudspeaker to demand we bring back the punt, slower uh, internet speeds and the return of a crumbling old shopping centre. Um, we have the right to be ridiculous too, gas bitches. Um I don't really have very much going on in my life culturally at the moment. So uh, another favorite bit is Cherry Twizzlers because I got a delivery of them from Canada and they're just unbelievable. And we don't celebrate cherry flavored things enough in Ireland. We are obsessed with strawberry. Cop on and get on the cherry buzz. And finally, (laughs) um, the eighth, the film that was made by the three Irish women, um, about the journey to repeal um, uh, is premiering in Canada tonight. Um, so uh, it's in Hot Docs. A big shout out and love to them because they should be having their moment um, in real life. But on it goes digitally, this show goes on. So my heart goes out to them, but uh, I'm delighted that their film is premiering. I'm also looking forward to this film making you a bigger star than you are because let's face it, Andrea, you are my... That is not why... Actually, I'm going to talk about that for a minute. That is not why I ever agreed to do that. Um, I I thought you were really concerned about being my meal ticket, basically. (laughs) That you were my ticket ticket out of this mess. (laughs) Definitely not. Watch out. But uh, when... Like obviously the direct, they were making a film and needed to create a narrative and they were focusing on a US audience primarily because Abigail Disney is the exec producer. So they were one, they wanted to track the journey. And obviously I was this little weirdo, like having Prosecco parties and throwing glitter and providing um, an opportunity for people who don't see themselves as activists like I do, uh, like I don't see myself as, um, to be, see that they can use their own skills and what their interests are to take up arms and protest in the way that suits them rather than uh, believing they can't do anything because they don't like protesting the way they do. So that's uh, why I agreed to be part of that film and so yeah there you go great thanks for clearing that up I still (laughs) I'm I'm really looking for I haven't seen it yet um, I've seen bits of it and obviously they were kind of filming uh, some of you're in it oh yeah 
that's 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 true as well um so yeah i can't remember what it's i've only saw it once and they plowed me with wine because we were watching it and i don't really remember but i do remember in it um and i do and it got it they premiered the trailer on variety during the week which is absolutely brilliant so anyway fab premiere and uh tonight being thursday um andrea what is the deal the deal is keep your distance and people are starting to really like get up in your grill aren't they you're literally like excuse me get back uh, so can everyone take a step back when and because so many people I met with are like just passing each other and I'm like will you get in you're off the path you're blocking it so keep your distance people keep washing your hands um, keep using your cuticle oil on your nails as well just it's nearly time for us to open back up soon in another eight weeks uh, keep your sneezes contained and keep a mask on in places like supermarkets and when you are having to be surrounded by a lot of people what is this week's tuna chicken roll this week's you picked it you tell us what it is I just picked it because I feel like I don't think people are talking enough about how sunny it is since <laughs> March basically um, so it's just the most joyous thing isn't it like oh I can't get enough of it in a very literal um, reflection of that this week's tuna chicken roll is the um, classic I would say caribou track sun I've been Una Mulally. I've been Andrea Horan. That was Curtain Twitching and Surveillance Capitalism. And we are... United Ireland. United Ireland. Sun, 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 sun,